Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. We've had some really good content come out of the Winged Wheel Podcast Discord, but I gotta say, the pictures from the back of a police van after being arrested for throwing an octopus on the ice in Calgary, getting a live play-by-play as Patreon supporter D-Boss Snip Show, that's what he, he goes by, was detained. That has to be top of the charts, right? For a place that's like the land of the free slash Florida North slash Texas North, they weren't really all that down with an octopus getting thrown on the ice. <laughs> It was hysterical because he, I scrolled up, everyone, like after the octopus hit the ice, everyone was saying like, hey, that's a, that's a Wingbill podcast patron. He was giving us a play-by-play in the discord. And I scrolled up and he was showing like all the preparation videos for the octopus, how he marinated it, the, how he strapped it to himself with the saran wrap, which people who have been following the Red Wings for a while know that's how you get the octopi into games. Video of him throwing it on the ice and then like pictures of him with the ticket that he got. He got a $250 ticket and then pictures from the police van there was no at first i was like was it actually him when people said it and then i went and looked i was like oh my god this is hysterical all the planning that went into it and how well it was documented was masterful netflix needs to do a three-part series minimum on this yeah we're going to expand the winged wheel podcast network and do a documentary on this whole process there's more to the story because he turned it into a really awesome thing but i'll save that for the episode Uh, Before we jump into it, apologies in advance. We have exactly one healthy person on this podcast. It's neither myself nor Brad. So Evan, it's it's all you today, bud. Oh yeah, I'm ready. This is this is what you've been waiting for. I had a alcoholic beverage before, so I'm. (laughs) It's it's 4 p.m. on Sunday. (laughs) That's what you got to do on the weekend. I thought you'd have caffeine or something to get you going. Uh, In in retrospect, yes, I should have had caffeine. (laughs) Godspeed to you all who are listening. A four loco would have just been more efficient, Evan. That is true. That's very true. Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast, here to talk to you about all things Detroit Red Wings hockey, the world of the NHL, the octopus toss, and lots more. I'm one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. On this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, we're going to be talking about Detroit's two games since we last spoke. Uh, One was a loss, and another was a pretty dominant win, which was good to see to avoid the losing streak. So we'll cover the Vancouver game as well as the Calgary game. Uh, storylines out of both, you know, comments from Zadorov and Cole from before the Vancouver game and what went wrong for Detroit and then how they flipped the script against Calgary. So it wasn't just the octopus toss that was awesome there. Uh, a lot of the Red Wings were too. Uh, we'll be giving you an update on the whole octopus saga and how it's been turned into a great fundraising opportunity because uh, dudes rock and Red Wings fans are the best fan base in the world, bar none. Uh, some Red Wings updates with regards to Huso. Uh, Matt Luff, friend of the podcast, and his return to play, hopefully for the Grand Rapids Griffins. And then more trade deadline conversation as we approach. What's Detroit going to do in net? What's Detroit going to do on defense, if anything? And then uh, names from across the league who are kind of out there. The confirmation of the Red Wings versus uh, Columbus Blue Jackets uh, game at Ohio Stadium on March 1st, 2025, and more NHL news. Before all that, I want to let you know that Saturday, March 2nd, is Winged Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA. It's a game, uh, the Red Wings game against the Florida Panthers. What that night is, is a partnered event between us and the Detroit Red Wings, where we host a live episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast at the LCA before the game. 
The live show will feature Ken Daniels and other special guests. Uh, there's going to be an opportunity for a meet and greet, uh, food and drinks available for you. Plus, the first 400 ticket buyers get a special co-branded Detroit Red Wings and Winged Wheel podcast cap. It's limited edition. The only way to get it is to come to these events. We can't sell them anywhere else. So your tickets get you access to the game, access to the live show, the cap, and it includes a donation to the Jamie Daniels Foundation, which is why we do all of this. Also, there's a built-in discount within the ticket itself. So go to wingedwheelpodcast.com slash redwings to get your ticket or the link in the description. Again, only the first 400 get the special co-branded limited edition Detroit Red Wings and Winged Wheel Podcast cap. So the Red Wings played their rematch game against the Vancouver Canucks. And I call it a rematch game because Vancouver gave up a lead in Detroit about a week prior that ended with Jake Wallman. Obviously, we all know with the electric overtime penalty shot game winner, and then he had the gritty after. A, a note about that gritty, actually, not that he needed justification to do it because it's awesome and hilarious, but uh, different angles and the Red Wings, the media team, the photography team, they're so good. And there was another angle posted, I believe by Chris Pop, and he was pointing to a bunch of kids in the crowd. It was kids night. So he was really just giving them an awesome show, which was, it made the whole situation even better. But that obviously was the talk of the town. It happened at the same time as the Morgan Riley Ridley Gregg situation. There's a lot of people, you know, talking their smack, so to speak, in the NHL right now, which I think is awesome. We'll get into that in a second. But a lot of people saw this Vancouver game in Vancouver as a rematch where, hey, maybe there's some retribution to be had. We talked about it with when we had that big long talk about the code with the Greg Riley incident. And I put it on record ahead of time. If someone on Vancouver took a cheap shot at Wallman or something like that, you know, coward move, it's a celebration, who cares? Obviously, our my opinion on the Ridley Gregg thing was very similar. But I did say, if Vancouver does something and they gritty against Wallman and point at him and go down that road, 10 out of 10, absolute huge respect for it. And Zadorov did in an instant. And I don't care that that was against the Red Wings. Like A plus, love it. That that's how you troll. Yeah. Like that's fun. This is the difference between the cross check to the face and this. Was Jake Wallman probably royally pissed off when Zadorov did that? Well, based on his mannerisms around the time, yeah, he probably was. I think he was mad because he got a high stick in the face. Also, yeah, but that rubs salt in the wound, right? Yeah. Did anybody get hurt because of that gritty? Because of that response? No. No. My exactly. eyes did. Yeah. I had to watch Zadorov attempt a gritty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he, attempts is the key word there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I love stuff like this in the NHL when it goes both ways like this because nobody's getting CTE out of it. It's a hilarious storyline. It does, you know, prop up what could be a rivalry. Obviously, Detroit and Vancouver don't play each other again this year. Let's say Zadorov played for Ottawa. Imagine how this would continue throughout the season. It's great. And Hockey needs more storylines like this where people are being petty, fun, vindictive, but nobody gets hurt. Like it was the perfect response by Vancouver to what happened. You know what else? And it's going to be a little bit of you have to hand it to Vancouver here before we talk about a game where Vancouver handed it to Detroit. But just bear with me for a second. But before the game, there were comments from both Zadorov and Cole. First of all, Zadorov, when he was asked about his two-game suspension— he said he definitely deserved it. He said it was a bad hit. I completely missed him. It was clearly head contact there. Zadorov's known for being a guy who just kind of lays it out straight, calls things as it is. And 
I think that's why a lot of people around the league like him. But he knows he plays hard. He still hit Raymond hard in the game as well. So it's not like he's pulling up or anything. I think he also noted like he was surprised he didn't get, you know, challenged by any Red Wings after the hit. He's like, I hit one of their best young players. Like that was kind of surprising to me. But he knew it was a bad hit. I completely missed him. There's head contact there, accepted his suspension. I'm like, what a breath of fresh air. Like you missed. It was an accident. Obviously not malicious. You still play your game after you move on. It's nice to see. And they also asked Ian Cole before the game uh, about the the gritty thing, and he had his opinion on it. I was like, "Why are the what Vancou- timeline are we in? Why are the Vancouver Canucks so likable right now?" He's like, "The best way to stop someone from celebrating a goal that you don't like is by not letting him score that goal." Printed on a T-shirt, incredible, perfect quote. Yeah, are we? Do we cheer for the Canucks in the West now? They're a really <laughs> likable team all of a sudden. You know what? That is one of the most chaotic, manic fan bases in hockey. But you almost have to respect the way that they approach that. Obviously, like you saw that Zadorov hit, and I do wish he would have gotten tuned up from a Red Wings perspective, but refreshing to see someone who isn't just like, oh, I two-handed a guy to the like in the skull and I'm getting suspended. That's bullshit. No, he's like, yeah, I, I hit him in the head. It's not a good hit. I shouldn't do that. Yeah, it wasn't malicious. It was reckless. Yeah. And he knew it, owned up to it, moved on. I'm glad he pointed out that no Red Wings stepped up because we've been banging that drum all for years now. That being said, who on the Red Wings is going to step up to Zadorov and not get absolutely handled? He's, but a hard, he's a hard guy to play against. He, he is a monster. But yeah, every, everything about a game where two teams very obviously did not like each other, but everybody handled it perfectly. It's every time we come on here pissing and moaning about the code in the NHL and this and that, and we get responses of what the hell else are you supposed to do? This. This is how it's supposed to go. That's great. So the game itself wasn't good for Detroit. I think on balance, I don't think Vancouver really dominated play. I just think Detroit's offense was nowhere. They went 0 for 5 on the power play. Demko was really good. Uh, Detroit outshot Vancouver 28-21. And Demko, like when they did generate some high danger chances, Demko was really, really solid. Uh, their only goal to speak of was when they were already down 3-0. Uh, JT Confer scored his 100th goal of his career, so congratulations to him. I uh, picked up a loose puck in front, I believe. It was Sherrod who, who walked the blue line, fired it in, and Kane got it to him. So the Red Wings got on the board, and they were going into the third, and I thought, oh, going into the third, down 3-1. They got a power play early in the third. I'm like, maybe they repeat the storyline here, but they just could never get it going. It seemed like a, a sleepy third period. I didn't really see the legs, the composure, it wasn't a good effort in terms of working to get back. And when they did kind of get good chances, Demko was just, you know, Thatcher Demko. And Detroit was never really in the game. We've praised the Red Wings all year for their resolve and their compete in situations like that. But it's a harsh reminder that nobody's 100%. Yeah. You're, you're going to lay some eggs and. That's all this game was to me. This was not a trap game. Obviously, they... Probably should have had a little more motivation going into it, but the middle game of a West Coast road trip after you got handled by one of the top teams in the league, and now you are playing one of the other top teams in the league. Not that you could see the writing on the wall for this game, but it's entirely unsurprising how it went. Yeah, and you're never going to sit here and say, oh, losing 8-4 to Edmonton and then following that up with a loss against Vancouver is actually a good thing, and you know, you're not allowed to be upset about it, but... With the way Detroit played January, and you saw how they started the 
post-break game against Vancouver, you're going to get little stretches like this. I think what the most important thing was was how they responded to Calgary after. And that game was was really excellent. So we'll get to that in a second. But yeah, Detroit ended up losing to Vancouver. Uh, Wallman, he was getting some checks finished on him, and I think he was sparring at one point with Pew Suter. He took a high stick to the face from Niels Hoaglander. It didn't get called, and that's why Jake Wallman was slashing the, the glass and the boards with his stick. And it was a bad non-call. Hoaglander got a fine after that. I think that might be the second player who was fined for a high stick against Wallman after the game actually happened this year, if I'm remembering correctly. So, yeah, Vancouver fans are going to see that and they're going to see Zadorov grittying and they're going to think that's why Wallman was mad. And you know what? Fair enough. We'd probably laugh at it too. But in all, it just wasn't a good night. And some parts of the game, I thought there were goals that were just broken plays where Detroit did what they could and Vancouver's skilled players put it in. There was a pretty rough giveaway by Jeff Petrie. Uh, he got no support from wingers uh, receiving an outlet pass along the boards. And then Petrie just made a terrible decision and handed it away. JT Miller came in and scored that. I saw that and I was like, you try not to beat up on one player. You not you try not to single out one player. But I immediately said, you can't tell me that Simon Edvinson making a bad giveaway leading to a goal is worse than Jeff Petrie making a bad giveaway leading to a goal. We'll get into the Edvinson Petrie thing later when we talk trade deadline in, in Detroit's team dynamics. But that one to me, I was like, I know he didn't get support from his wingers, but that one was preventable. I think it's around novice when you can start raising the puck where coaches teach you, if you have nothing, glass and out. Yeah. Don't overthink it. Don't force something that's not there. Don't accept unnecessary pressure. If you have no play, pressure's coming in on you, your wingers are at the far blue line, whatever, glass and out. Novice hockey. And this was a game where Detroit, you know, they couldn't score. They made some mistakes there that that let Vancouver in, and Lyon was, just wasn't, he wasn't sharp, wasn't a good game for him, wasn't good against Edmonton either, just was what it was. So, like I said, they needed to come back against Calgary, and that game was a much much better effort and credit to the Red Wings because they responded with James Reimer and Nett and Detroit knew they had to give Reimer as much support as they could. It's not like they prevented shots. Calgary outshot Detroit 38-21. So credit to Reimer for making 38 of 38 saves, but overall a much more efficient effort from the Red Wings. And a lot of the Calgary shots came late after the score was already starting to get a little out of hand. You know, when Detroit made it three or four, nothing, I think the shots were still within five or six. Like it wasn't a dramatic outpacing at that point. And we know how, you know, score effect shots go. You're down three, four, five, nothing. You're putting everything on net. And Detroit is known a little bit for their prevent defense. And you're going to give up shots doing that. So none of it was surprising. So again, first highlight of the game, Reimer was rock solid. He had some moments where he looked like James Reimer, like swimming in his own net, kind of lost track of the puck, but he settled in really nicely, which made me believe that the extended period of rest because he lost the net allowed him to to be more prepared. At his age, he's probably, you can't play him too much and expect him to be like physically on top of where the puck is and the puck tracking and and maintaining his his space in the net. So he came in with rest, came in cold really. Uh, and did what he had to do. So credit to James Reimer. But the Red Wings as well, like they were efficient scorers. In the first period, Patrick Kane, power play goal. 
right off the faceoff. Detroit's faceoffs were key that game. They were about 60% on faceoffs, and a few key plays came right off a faceoff win. This one, the puck came back, went to Patrick Kane, one-timer from the blue line. Past that was like a sixth sl- slap shot he's ever taken. <laughs> like I saw that, and they, like Ken said Kane on the broadcast, and I saw the goal go in. I went, like, Patrick? I literally cannot remember the last time I saw Patrick Kane take a slap shot. And it was a, it was a decently hard shot for him. Sent the goalie's going, the puck's going the opposite way the goalie's moving. Like, that's a tough save to make, which he didn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was not Markstrom's night. Uh, Cider and Fabry assisted on that. Congratulations to the Fabrys on the birth of their daughter. And uh, Detroit kept the scoring going. JT Confer scored again. Great play by Lucas Raymond to hound the puck, force a turnover, got the puck to, to JT Confer, who scored his 101st goal of his career. And then... It was it was all Detroit. Dylan Larkin on the power play from Kane and Goss to spare. They found Larkin in front, and then Perron, as Cop was uh, streaking down the side, Perron put his entire body into that puck and fired it home to make it four nothing. And then Markstrom, they pulled Markstrom after that. Detroit was the first team to chase Markstrom from his net, and they did it against a team with a very staunch penalty kill. They had two power play goals on their first two power plays. So, if Detroit needed a good offensive bounce back game, that was it. Remember. Way back in 1990, was it five or 96? The Red Wings chased Patrick Waugh out of a game, and it turned out mostly poorly for the Red Wings because they had to play him for the next year and year for the next seven years. You think this is the game that chases Markstrom to New Jersey officially? (laughs) The team two points behind them in the playoff race? I will say I think Calgary pulled Markstrom at a much more reasonable goal total than when uh, when Montreal pulled Patrick Waugh. Yeah, but if it brings the price down just enough. Yeah, that's right. He, Markstrom's having an unbelievable season, and I'm shocked Calgary's not selling high on him yet. They might, and they're obviously entering a rebuild, but I, I know we talked about it before we started recording. Yeah, the Red Wings played great, a lot of chances, finally got the message to you know shoot the puck. Four of those five should have been stopped. They could have been stopped. Yeah, the Kane one, tough moving east to west and the puck's going west to east, but could have been saved. The comp for one, little bit of a deflection, but you would think the goalie would tighten up coming across like that and not give such a big gap. The Larkin one, not a goalie on the planet who's saving that. That was just a great play. The Prawn one went through the goalie. The Raymond shot went through the goalie. You know, even though the Raymond was a missile, an NHL goalie from that distance in that spot should probably stop that. But when you realize the goalie's having an off night, yeah, you take those shots when they're given to you. You don't overpass. You don't overanalyze. You just get it on net. Like the Prawn one in the slot especially, his body, the way he was positioned, wasn't conducive to a shot, but he knew where he was. He knew the situation, and he did everything in his power to just muscle that thing to the net. And it got through, and he wasted no time doing it, which probably helped. Yeah, and you mentioned the Raymond goal in the third period. That's what made it five. Uh, Raymond scored against Vladar because Markson was out at that point. And yeah, it, I we said before, it's kind of akin to when uh, a ball hits a wide receiver's hands and it gets, like it hits the ground, it's an incomplete pass. In general, if the ball can hit you in the hands, you could have caught the ball. And when Raymond's shot hit Vladar like low in the pads and then kind of went still went through him, it was a savable puck. Not every goalie every night is going to save all of those. And so this isn't to take away credit from the Red Wings shots, but that's to say they were pretty efficient in beating the Calgary goalies. Well, night. we've talked about it all year. When the Red Wings catch a team on an off night, 
you want to dismiss it, but it's like, no, you still have to capitalize on it. Same thing applies to goalies. You catch a goalie on an off night, jump on it. Yeah. And they did. Because I don't think they did that against Skinner and Edmonton. No, they didn't. It was the exact opposite. They still got four and they should have had seven or eight. Something about that game too is you walked in and Derek Lalone made a lot of big lineup changes. He broke up the Rasmussen cop Fisher line. He he put Rasmussen up top. The whole lineup was jumbled. And I was coming in, I was like, that's a big reaction after the Vancouver game. I wonder how this team's going to respond. And to his credit and to the team's credit, it worked. So that's the kind of thing, like when they look as off as they did against the Vancouver night, you you say, what can the coach do to to give him kind of a shot in the leg? And that was... That was his strategy. You have to be careful with line blending, as we've seen in the past when you just kind of do it at will every single game. I think Jeff Blaschel had a a much worse Red Wings roster to work with, but still I digress. But yeah, Lalone picked the right time to do it and uh, it it paid off for Detroit. Kind of the game-to-game equivalent of pulling the goalie. Not always their fault, but you're doing it to send a message. Yeah. Something in that game, the game management for the refs was bad. Like... (laughs) Shocking. Fabry. This is a recording. <laughs> yeah, like I, Fabry and Backlund went at it off the faceoff where Backlund really made the first kind of move of aggression. Fabry went back at him and then Fabry got immediately like, ju- I don't mean jump like they beat him up, but like headlocked by two other flames and Backlund and everyone got in on it. But Detroit was already up for nothing and they were already on the power play. I went, oh, don't do it. Don't do it. And the ref gave Fabry two minors. I was like, what? For being headlocked? That was, that was game management, ice tilting to a T. Don't even bring it up. Gary Bettman said, we have the best refs in the world. There's no way. (laughs) That doesn't mean they're good. We just have the best. (laughs) You know what? That's a fair statement. Every time I complain about NHL refs, I do remember uh, that the NFL, MLB, and NBA are a thing. And I'm like, you know what? It's better than the MLB umps, man. That one drives me nuts. They are just, they just vibe out there. Oh my God. Unequivocally, they're the worst. And then you're arguing about the other three for where they rank. Anyhow, so that was uh, the Red Wings game. It was a 5 nothing shutout in the end. Great, great response by Detroit. Something that was the talk of the town after that. Uh, first, I, I should call it some, some things. Raymond had a goal and assist that game. He looked great. He had like one bad turnover that game. But other than that, was he's really playing like so much confidence out there, Lucas Raymond. I actually thought Sherrod had a decent game. Yeah. At least visibly in the offensive zone. He made some really key plays along the blue line to keep the puck in, won some puck battles, and generated some offense. I don't know what the the advanced stats say. I don't really care if they don't support my (laughs) argument. Um, But I I thought he actually had a pretty solid game. He had a couple opportunities where he was down low to getting the puck to the net. I, I thought he had a good game. Yeah, he did. I think that's probably a lot of, like, the Red Wings are sheltering their defensemen who aren't Sider and Wallman by giving Sider and Wallman the hardest minutes. And when you're up against a team like Calgary, who doesn't have the same firepower as, say, Edmonton or Vancouver, your depth defensemen are going to have an easier job and be able to do their thing a little bit more. So that's like what you just called out there, Evan. I think that's a little bit of why people have really kind of warmed up to Ben Schrott this season, because I think he's having a much better season. Mm -hmm. Uh, Patrick Kane on a four-game point streak. He's looked great. After we had that little segment about how Patrick Kane looks good, we got... (laughs) Got a couple of messages from different people saying like Patrick Kane's defense angers a lot of people and they're right to be angry about it because he he cheats on defensive assignments. He cheats trying to leave the zone. He absolutely does that. But don't get it twisted. That's not a Patrick Kane now. Are you looking for thing. 
Are you looking for a selkie winner or you want to see a guy hit home runs? <laughs> want to see some dingers? Yeah. But that, that's not like a Patrick Kane in his old age thing. That's been Patrick Kane his whole career. Yeah, this isn't new information. We were hoping that when the Red Wings signed Patrick Kane, he would play at about a 50 to 60 point pace and not be too much of a defensive liability. At be- like best case scenario. And yeah. we'd be thrilled. Well, he's outpacing that point uh, pace by a lot. And defensively, well, when he's never in his own zone, it doesn't matter too much because he always has the puck. So I think we're good. Yeah, for the yeah the net advantage for Detroit is still very, very worthwhile. So for the people who are like Patrick Kane, you know, terrible on defense. Yeah, he's not. Cool. Like, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. I promise you he's not Sasha Barkov. Like, he, he never has been and he won't be. The reason we don't talk about it is because that's an accepted trait of Patrick Kane for everything else he brings to the ice. Yeah, sure. Patrick Kane's great offensively and brings nothing defensively. But are we just going to ignore how great Alex Lyon's been, but his lack of goal production and how concerning that is? (laughs) (laughs) Alex Lyon is a defensive specialist, but man, is he a black hole offensively. Not the most fair argument, but it is the most fun argument, so I'm going to let it stand. That and Evan's statement of not caring about any analytics that don't support his argument. We stand some ignorant kings on this podcast. But if they do support my argument, then I fully agree with Then they're great analytics, yeah. That's what the science points to. So people who have been watching the Red Wings for a long time will know back in the Red Wings' heyday, it wasn't uncommon to see Octopi on the ice while the Red Wings are on the road. Hockey Town is one of the most well-traveled fan bases in modern league history. Catherine yesterday was like, I thought they threw hats for a hat trick. I was like, there was no three goals. No. I was like, well, I'll explain it to you later. Five different goal scorers, actually, (laughs) for Detroit, funny enough. And an octopus hit the ice in the third period against Calgary, which was incredible in its own right. Big, like, we're so back energy. Like, we had a a, a little clip of uh, talking about how the octopus on the ice. It's just the energy of Hockey Town and the spirit of Detroit and those fans. It's just cool to see. And then, as we were mentioning at the top of the show, I got pinged like a million times saying, hey, go to the Winged Wheel podcast, uh, like, Patreon Discord. Because this is a patron who did it. And it was D-Boss Snip Show, like I mentioned. He tossed it on the ice. He had pictures of him preparing the octopus. Apparently, to get rid of the smell, you have to boil it and then marinate in garlic and lemon, I think he did. Strapped it to himself with a a bunch of uh, saran wrap. Got into the arena. He got videos from multiple angles of him tossing it on the ice. And then was sending, like, writing in the Discord while he was detained in the back of a police van. He was telling us, he's like, I had to explain to the officers why I did it because they were so confused. They're like, so why did you, you threw an octopus on the, I don't get it. Is there an answer out there acceptable beyond it's what we do? uh, If you try explaining it, it's just more confusing. So back in the day, there was a Greek uh, uh, fish shop grocer or whatever it was. (laughs) (laughs) Like, how far back do you go? And so he eventually got out and he's like, oh, I got a $250 ticket worth it. And then I just got a flood of messages of like, we want to chip in, we want to donate and stuff and like offers from, from a lot of different people to just cover the ticket completely. We were saying like, Hey, like what can, how can we help? We, I didn't want to post anything without his permission. And he took a while to answer. And the reason was because he went to the casino with his buddy after who he was with and won two grand at the casino. <laughs> what a night. What a what a legend. And then he was just like sending messages and updates telling us about like how it all happened and everything. 
and he doesn't have any social media. Bless him. I'm so very jealous of him. And he, I was DMing with him and he was like, uh, I was like, what do you want me to do for all these people who want to redirect you? I don't want to, to post anything without your permission. He's like, yeah, you can post the pictures, post the videos, all that, talk about it on the show. But instead of people donating to me, I want to instead redirect those donations to the Jamie Daniels Foundation. So like what a legend in his own right to get an octopus on the ice on a road Red Wings game, win it all back eight times over at the casino after to pay off the ticket. And then for everyone who wanted to chip in because it was, you know, dope as hell, raise money for the Jamie Daniels Foundation. What a legend. The term gets thrown around too much, <laughs> but every once in a while and it applies, Rockstar shit. It's like that's the second time in three episodes. I think we said that. Like We're, that was. And both have been very valid. So for anyone who does want to chip in, I know we had uh, a bunch of people online saying they want to, you know, donate to his Venmo or, or cover the entire cost of the ticket. What he has requested is that you uh, redirect that money to the Jamie Daniels Foundation if you want to contribute because he's <laughs> he already took care of it himself at the casino. So justgiving.com slash wings money on the board. Again, that's justgiving.com slash wings money on the board. Uh, that is that goes directly to the Jamie Daniels Foundation. Uh, it's just a different kind of uh, portal into it to help us track the fundraising through Wings Money on the Board. But credit to D Boss Snip Show. I want to kind of get him. I, I, I hope to chat with him in the future. I, I, I want to do a little piece on the show because that's awesome as hell. If you're a, a Red Wings fan on a road game, get that octopus on the ice. And the fact that it was one of our, our Patreon supporters and he gave us live updates from before, during, and after. On the Discord, I'm like that. We we have to reward him. We're gonna send him some Winged Wheel Podcast merch, and the next time he's in town, uh, some tickets to the Red Wings game. Where I think you can get away a little bit easier if you toss an octopus. Yeah, you just get lost in the concourse. Yeah, <laughs> it's and you know what? At the Joe, the concourse was very tight, so it was easy to get lost. Lots of shoulders in there, and at the LCA, it's very big, so lots of places to uh, go wander. I should say we're gonna get in trouble with security. <laughs> Anyhow, that was cool. It was. Uh, Feels like we haven't seen an iconic one in a long time. We've been seeing them more and more, but that one felt, yeah, that one felt iconic. When the Red Wings pumping someone 5-1 on the road, that's awesome. Okay, so the Red Wings upcoming are going to finish their road trip on Monday against Seattle. That's a 3.30 p.m. Eastern game. We'll be back with you uh, with the pod on Wednesday. And then Detroit is back home for their next two games against Colorado and St. Louis on Thursday and Saturday, respectively. Uh, 7 p.m. Eastern on Thursday against Colorado, and the Saturday game is a 12 p.m. Eastern uh, noon matinee. Some more Red Wings news. Uh, Vili Husso, who obviously left within like nine minutes of the Oilers game, uh, Derek Lalonde gave an update that he is out week to week. It is not the same injury that he re-aggravated. It's actually a different lower body thing. So not to say it didn't factor in. Anyone who's been injured for a long time with sports knows that if you you carry something, especially lower body, you walk different to compensate. You put stress on different parts of your body because you're you're you know not moving in a balanced way, and then all of a sudden something on the other side goes out. But that's a tough blow to Detroit's goaltending situation. It's going to make the deadline much more interesting because it might limit them in what they were otherwise planning on doing. A hundred percent. And I don't think in a way where it's going to be, they're going to lose out on a potential first round pick return, but we'll talk about in a moment here, Detroit keeps flipping to either side of the spectrum with goaltending and uh, news from today, Matt Luff, friend of the podcast was on waivers and some folks were wondering why that was essentially he was injured non roster. And by when you get healthy and cleared to play again, he did have to clear waivers to go down to Grand Rapids. So that's the intention. 
uh, being cleared to play. And if he does clear waivers, which isn't a guarantee for a guy like Luff, I could see a team taking a flyer on him just for depth support in their organization. But if he does clear, he'll be starting in Grand Rapids uh, pretty soon after, which good for him. If he does get claimed, I'll be really mad because he's going to come join us for some fundraising in the summer, he said. Exactly. That would be heartbreaking. So we will see how uh, Huso recovers and then obviously best of luck to Luff. Hopefully no one claims him. All right, let's get into some trade deadline conversation here. And I'm really sorry to fans who are just tired of us beating a dead horse, but I really wonder what the move is on defense here for Detroit. Someone asked me, what's Detroit going to do at the deadline? And the goalie thing is actually, that's up in the air. I could see Detroit potentially looking for a different backup goalie solution. I could see them sticking with Reimer. We don't know yet. I could see them picking up a flyer on a cheap forward who provides them something that they want closer to the deadline based on what injuries are at or what scoring is like at that time, uh, depending on who's available. There's a lot that can happen. But defense is the one where you can reasonably assume that Steve Eisenman will make a move if it's the right move to help the team in the medium to long term, probably less likely that it'd be a rental just because you don't mortgage futures for that in Detroit's position. That's the catch-22 though, isn't it? Anybody with term is almost worse in this particular situation because all their defensemen except cost despair have term. There's at least one, you could argue two guys in Grand Rapids who are right on the doorstep that should be up here. And in that same argument, you can argue those one or two guys are already better than half the guys holding down roster spots in Detroit. We obviously mentioned the Petrie thing already. So if there's a rental available for, you know, third, fourth, fifth round pick, who's an upgrade for this year, sure, why not? But I they have to figure something out because the problem with the guys they have that aren't good on defense is none of them are movable. Nobody's touching the Chirac contract. Nobody's touching the whole contract. Mata might be palatable. Uh, Petrie, I think, has a full no move anyway, so that one's not getting touched. He has a modified no trade. And modified no, no trade, sorry. So the no move yeah. is like he's not going to get sent down, but the modified no trade, he submits a 15-team no trade list. Yeah, but even at that, nobody's touching him unless you're adding a sweetener, right, at this point. So they're kind of handcuffed by their own moves here because I would like to see some kind of upgrade on the blue line. But I also would like to see Edvinson and or Johansson in Detroit within the next year. And any move they make kind of prevents that from happening. So I don't know what the answer is here, but I feel like anything of significance happening at the deadline with the decor would be too complicated for the NHL because we know how typically conservative NHL GMs are. And... You know, if Detroit wants to acquire, maybe they pay a premium to have one of the, the the sending team take one of these defensemen back. Yeah. But then we get to the argument of, do you want to pay that premium? Do you want to add on however many extra value to have team, you know, take back Petrie or Mata or whoever? I, I don't know. Like, obviously, there's always, always a scenario where it makes sense. But always the team that you're trading with is going to ask for too much originally. And can you talk them down enough? It's, I, I don't think it's too complicated for the NHL. I think it's too complicated to anticipate and it needs to be the right timing of the right player. You have what that team wants and he's available at the right time, right? Like it's just, there's so many moving parts and it's, you need luck to be on your side too, which is almost a silly thing to say, but in any given market, 
you know, even if the right player is available, if some team, some nitwit GM from another team just sold a comparable or slightly worse player for way too much, congratulations. He just screwed your sale price on a guy that you're trying to acquire who wasn't even related. And that's how the, the trade deadline works. So I think you're right though, Brad, like if the Red Wings make a move, I had a friend ask me like, what's Detroit going to do? Are they going to get help on defense? I think Iserman is looking at that, but you have, you already are overloaded with too many contracts. You need to be sending things away. I actually don't hate the idea of paying a premium somewhat to move a contract. It's going to be difficult to move the ones that you'd want to move. Uh, like let's call it what it is. The, the hall deal is not good. The Sherratt deal is looking better. I think teams are going to be a, probably sweet on him now more so than previously. But still not at that price. And you need to retain. It's just, you're going to have to, it's going to be an incredibly complicated puzzle to to work in. There would have to be moving parts, which points you back to, why can't Simon Edvinson do this in Detroit? And we just talked recently, so I'm not going back on what I said of, you know, Grand Rapids is really doing a great thing. And I've really kind of changed my opinion over time and Eden Crow on the fact like, oh, Edvinson should be up now. I still, if it was my preference, Edvinson would have been up at the start of the season, but it is really great for him to be part of the driving force of Grand Rapids, turning things around down in the AHL and for him to get that experience. It's fantastic. But for how complicated a trade would be to improve the defense, I just can't help but feel a little bit like Ken Holland and saying Simon Edmondson's our trade deadline acquisition. Yeah, it's already going to be difficult enough to move one of the bottom six defensemen on the set. <laughs> bottom six. <laughs> <laughs> bottom four defensemen on this team. And then it's even more difficult to find the right piece if you're especially looking to keep them short, longer than one year, longer than as a rental. So, you know, do, do the Red Wings search that market and say, okay, there's there's nothing there for us to take on longer than one year. Simon Evanson will be our trade deadline acquisition, and we'll see if we can't move one of the bottom four defensemen instead. That makes a lot more sense than really having to make some trades. And I'd rather the Red Wings not make a knee-jerk reaction at the trade deadline when everybody else starts to panic. It also, I think, depends on what the teams around them do, like... Do the Leafs add? Do Tampa add? Do the teams chasing them like New Jersey add, which almost happened with Markstrom, which maybe wasn't a bad idea, <laughs> judging by the other night. But that makes you, that sort of forces you to be uncomfortable and make moves that you necessarily wouldn't have made previously. So there's a lot of moving parts, not only for the Red Wings, but, you know, around them as well in terms of other teams. So it'll be very interesting, this trade deadline. I, I really think Steve Eisenman's got his work cut out for him. He has a lot of options. I'm not going to sit here and say it's a good problem that you have a lot of term on the wrong guys on defense. Like Goss is spares an expired UFA and you, you have to sign Cider, who's an RFA, so that's team control. That's nothing to be concerned about. But if you want to move someone to make these deals work, like you're running the risk of having it to be Goss is spare, which do you really want to do that? Depends on the value in return. And would that really make sense in the same trade? It's all extremely complicated, but yeah, it's it's not a great situation for Detroit to be in. You want more support on defense, but they do actually have a lot of options. I said time and time again, I think Iserman has to GM his way out of a lot of different situations to get this team to a competitive level. He's done a good job on balance. The team is in a much better position now than they were, you know, six years ago. But 
they still need to add more to the system. And sometimes that makes tough decisions tougher because you have to kind of go back on a decision that you just made one or two or three off seasons ago to bring a guy in who just isn't working out at the right price. Oh, we have any of those? <laughs> couple. Yeah, just, just a couple? I think how Detroit plays, obviously, over the next couple of weeks is going to dictate a lot of what their strategy is, which isn't a groundbreaking take. But let's take a look at what is out there. Obviously, the big names in the market, you know, Hannafin, it's becoming more widely accepted that he's going to go to market, you know, not stay in Calgary and sign the extension that was previously thought to be agreed upon. Uh, American teams are much more confident in being able to sign him long term. So if you're one of the Red Wings fans who are like, we can bring in Noah Hannafin, even if he's expensive to trade for. We're American. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, yeah. the Red Wings, if you're going to go by that logic, have a, a better chance of signing him long-term, which is good. Although he's going to have a lot of suitors. A lot I of I can't suitors. imagine that price is going to be small. No. Another guy who's who I think is going to go for a, a really big price is Tanev. And, you know, I like the player. I do. But I don't think Tanev is a luxury to trade for when you've brought in the amount of veteran depth on defense that Detroit has brought in. Like, I think he's better than those guys. But... Is that really moving the needle how you'd like? Ten, Maybe just a little? Tanev is more for teams who are have the luxury of mortgaging futures because they're definitely going to be If Pittsburgh was actually good, Tanev is an excellent buy, I think. But, but unfortunately, unfortunately, they're not. <laughs> no. They're bringing Yager back, for God's sake. <laughs> he still moves better than me. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I saw him in practice yesterday. I was like, if age was not a thing, you would think this guy might have a chance. What a legend. A name that was brought up, Rasmus Anderson in Calgary. That's one. And he has term. Like, it's not, uh, they're, they're not just buying a rental like they would be with with Tanev. He has two more years after this one at 4.55. Not sure what he thinks about Detroit having been hit by a car there. <laughs> <laughs> you can't go on those scooters, man. No. They're death trap. No. We talked about it on a previous, like, Patreon exclusive. But one time we were there for a Wind Wheel podcast night. And the uh, mine and Evan's now wives wanted to ride those scooters after like a night out and we were like, absolutely not. You guys are not crossing Woodward. Didn't Rasmus Anderson say he didn't remember it. He just woke up in a hospital. So who knows what really happened? They never caught whoever hit him. That is not shocking at all. Anyways, Rasmus Anderson, he would be an interesting uh, guy to have on the market. He's almost the ideal guy to trade for. He can run a power play and we don't know if Goss will be back next year. We don't know what Goss Bear's contract demands look like. He's a righty, mm-hmm. and for what he brings, 4.55 is fantastic value. Hannafin's going to want $7, 8000000 million a year. Tanev's going to probably want more than what Anderson's making right now. And I know NHL GMs haven't learned it, but most people and most hockey fans have learned. Uh, you don't sign defense-first defensemen who are either close to 30 or over 30, just ever. It's almost always a bad idea. And Hannafin and Tanev both fall into that category. But Rasmus Anderson, if you were to give. He's 27 right now. Yeah. And if you gave the option of, uh, we could get this, we could sign this guy for two years at 4.55, everybody would, all 32 teams in the league would jump at that immediately. Yeah. So that is the idea that intrigues me the most coming out of Calgary. Other defensive names that people ask us about a lot is uh, the Broberg one in Edmonton. Obviously, he's not playing in Edmonton. Still doing well with uh, Bakersfields. 
And Ken Holland came out and said they're not trading him for a rental. So he could be potentially a long-term piece, but you'd have to it would have to be a significant trade. But that's another guy where I'd be interested in buying low on someone. We have lots of defensemen who aren't rentals. Ken, come on. <laughs> step on up. If only we still had Philip Zadina to give Ken Holland. He loved him. <laughs> a name out there, which I thought was interesting. What's Buffalo going to do with Casey Middlestat? Because I they, keep hearing they have to pay him or trade him. That's the phrase that keeps going around. Pay him or trade him. And their cap situation is not bad, but they've already handed out a lot of long-term contracts. All of them individually seem reasonable on their own, but the they're kind of in the same boat as Ottawa where this new young collective core doesn't seem to be working. Yeah. So do you want to pay another piece of that core significantly if it's already not working? So Middlestat could be intriguing, but Buffalo's not dumb. No. He no. is going to Especially cost- not in division. That he is going to cost a ransom. And as much as I would love Casey Middlestead on the Red Wings, this isn't the Ottawa situation where Debrinkit wanted to go to Detroit, was basically forcing his way to Detroit. Middlestead ain't doing that. And the premium for in-division, for age, for positionality would be substantial. Yeah, but isn't Detroit in a position now where they have to do that because they're like Middlestat is a more of a known quantity. We know what he can do. So at some point in my mind, you have to start to pay premiums to bring these guys into the organization. A hundred percent. But to me, if you have that threshold of talent saying, I'll pay just about whatever to get this guy. Middlestat is not above that threshold. He is not that guy. Good would instantly make the Red Wings better. Not a game changer. Do you like him more on the second line than JT Comfer? The Maybe. fact you had to think about it, though, answers my but question. But he's 25 years old. I love Casey Middlestead. Great player. Not the guy that is going to solve the Red Wings' problems. Also, the style of play he has. Does he strike you as a Steve Eisenman type? Does he? I also does Patrick think... Kane strike you as a Steve Eisenman no, type? No, but he's Patrick Kane. <laughs> but he hits dingers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it, Steve Eisenman will pay a premium for an almost point-per-game center... What you could take for the but, cost of what it's going to be to get Casey Middlestat and shop out of the division would probably get you a better Casey Middlestat. Is I don't know the answer to this, so I don't mean to put you on the spot, but is there a Casey Middlestat available out of the division? I know every single player in the NHL, so I will fully answer your question. With, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I just think I, I understand. You take a flyer on a guy like Adam Henrique. Like, he's not Casey Middlestat, but I mean, if you're going to add to try and, you know, raise the floor again, that's maybe, that, this comes with like five seconds of thought. No, absolutely not. The biggest appeal to Casey Middlestat above all else, if you're looking at Casey Middlestat, is he's 25. Adam Henrik's what, like 42? He's in 1990s, so he is young, spry, extremely flexible. (laughs) Things that we're not. He also has a good defensive game this year. Like he's, he's, Acting like he he's put up forty four points, I think it is, and he has really great defensive impacts this year too. So when you say on a bad a, team, on a bad team, so is he a Steve Eisman type? I'd say without knowing too much about the guy personally or, or you you know, just, watching every single shift, I think he does fit the mold. Do you just take that price and go get Noah Hannafin at that point? I I'd prefer Casey Middlestead. If we're overpaying for middle of the lineup guys, and now Middlestead's second line, not third line. So let me. Very quickly clarify that. But yeah, Evan's question, I prefer the center to the defenseman here, especially the younger center to 
add to the even more appeal. But I do think the Red Wings are in a position where they should give up premium assets to upgrade for the future. Agree. If Casey Middlestat is the best option that comes available in the next two years, absolutely do it. Do I think Casey Middlestat will be the best option? No. There's always teams that do weird stuff in the offseason. A team might fall off the cliff next year, and you still want to have that stable of assets if, I don't know, pick a team that's due for regression, goes in the tank, they have premium players, you pony up. Now you're paying two first-round picks and two premium prospects, but you've got a bona fide 90-point first-line winger, first-line center, whatever. That's what the Red Wings need to be looking for because they have the world of depth. And I'm not arguing Casey Middlestat's not an upgrade. And if his price comes reasonable, absolutely you do it. One, given his age, it won't be reasonable. Given that it's in division, it won't be reasonable. I have a hard time seeing that trade making sense for Detroit relative to what it's going to cost. Whereas if you're going to overpay, and I've said it before on this podcast and I'll keep repeating it, I am very comfortable that Red Wings overpaying for a premium player at this point. I just don't put the word premium in front of Casey Middlestat yet. I don't disagree with the fundamentals of what you just said, but here's where my thinking has changed over the years, the nine plus years we've done this podcast. I used to be of the mind of you wait for the perfect moment. And we have nine years of this podcast. We've been talking about a rebuild for about 12 of them. So I'm kind of in a, because of the decisions Steve Eisman made in the past to move this team towards being a competitive wildcard team, which comes at the sacrifice of, you know, lottery picks in the future. I think he has to keep stepping on the gas. And sometimes that means you can't look a gift horse in the mouth and you can't pass opportunities by, even if it's not the most perfect one. Is that the path I would have chosen? Some days I say yes. Some days I say no. I don't know. It really just depends on the vibes, I guess. But I agree with you, Brad. Like this isn't the most premium piece. It's just for me, it's, I think you run the risk if you're waiting for that 90 point, you know, center winger or whatever for you to, to go big on, you might be waiting forever. There's too many teams in this league and they're only adding more every day. So, but in division and age, yeah, Buffalo is going to be asking for the trade value of a 90 point center. That's going to be the catch. And that doesn't even get into. Casey Middlesets do a contract soon. Yeah, he's an what RFA, are his demands? He's an RFA with Arbright, which you could use to your your benefit in a trade potentially, but then you're running the risk of can you actually... Yeah, does he want nine and a half mil or does he want seven mil? Like that's going to go a long way too to what you're willing to pony up for him. It's funny. I, I think middle, this argument is less about Middlestat and it's more just about fundamentally, okay, do you trade futures for premium pieces? Yes, absolutely you should. And Middlestad is just like the uh, poster boy for this discussion. He's, he's the grocery stick on elite to very good. Like he's he's not quite what would turn the tides for the Red Wings, but he's close enough that it's worth talking about. And again, if we're sitting here and things play out that nobody better than him becomes available, then yeah, you have to do what you got to do because this is the best upgrade you're going to get. But again, you look at, we all were assuming Winnipeg was going to blow it up and that didn't happen, but what team is going to blow it up? Hypothetically, I'm not saying they will, but let's say Minnesota enters a rebuild. What are you willing to pony up for Boldy or Kaprizov or one of those guys who are fundamentally better than Middlestat? And then it's like, yeah, if, if a guy like Kaprizov hits the market, I do not care what the asking price is, pay it. Because he is in that upper echelon he changes the outlook of the Red Wings. That's how I feel about Pedersen, for example. Exactly. Vancouver is not going to go off the rails, but if they do, 
whatever that you want our next six first round picks. Absolutely. Let's go. Like, cause he's a franchise changer. He's a rebuild changer. He's going to make a fundamental difference in what this team is for the next five years. And I just don't think Casey Middlestat is, but again, I'm still saying if the price is reasonable or if nothing better comes available, yeah, you take your best option. You know what the best thing that can happen is that'll pull all of us into the same camp in this discussion. Vancouver gets swept in the first round. <laughs> that would be just the best. Just, hey, Vancouver, next five years, every draft pick we have, every prospect in our system, but we're taking Pedersen and Hughes. <laughs> Please let us undo mistakes of the past. <laughs> and we, we promised we'd talk about goaltending. It's such a catch-22. You can't overwork Lyon. You're already seeing he didn't have two sharp games against Edmonton and Vancouver. Were the losses his fault? No, but you can't. It's, it goes to show you can't expect him to steal every game, and the more you overwork him, the more you're going to run the risk of burning him out like they did with Huso last year. The idea was Huso would come back, be steady enough where he could fill in and take some of the games from Lyon and stick with Lyon as your starter, but Huso got hurt right away, week to week for a goalie lower body, like, my brain automatically goes to a lot of weeks. And then with Reimer, he's been largely unreliable this year. He did come in and have a shutout and he looked good, but I think you're running the risk if you're playing him too much. So now what do you do if you're Steve Eisman? Do you go out and find a cheap flyer for another backup goalie? You're essentially just replacing the Reimer situation. And you also just had Reimer come in and, and pitch a shutout and some teams who are looking for a cheap flyer for a backup goalie might want Reimer. Like it's a... Uh, Everyone is pulling and pushing in the same direction. It's it's kind of weird. Yeah, and the shutout was great. I don't trust Reimer at all anymore. If he can string together three or four good games like this, okay. And there might be time before the deadline to find that out. I don't know how many games I want him to play in that stretch, but he'll play a few. And if he strings a bunch of good ones together, cool. Then the obvious answer here is, you run Lyon and Reimer until Huso comes back, and that's what you have for the rest of the year. If Reimer comes back next game and turns into a pumpkin again, like, where I am mentally at this point in the season is Reimer and Hutchinson are the same guy. I, I have very little, not doubt, but, like, I have a lot of faith that if you brought Hutchinson up to replace Reimer right now, what's happened this year would be largely the same. You get similar results, yeah. Exactly. And if a team's willing to pay you a fourth or a fifth for Reimer, great, you do it. And then if you are so inclined, take that fourth and fifth and turn it around for a depth rental defenseman or depth forward, whatever. Sure. Totally okay with that. And you just run with that until Huso comes back. Because again... It's easy to focus on one game, but since the end of October, Reimer's been an absolute liability. So I'm not at the point where I'm making decisions based on this one shutout. That you is, hope other GMs are, though. Yes, you absolutely are. And you know what makes GMs crazy is goalies. And so and I don't even want to say they're wrong for doing so, but sometimes you have to try to do something in net, especially if you're a team that's good on every other front. That's not Detroit. But I think teams who are hoping to be competitive and they have a good defense and good offense, but they can't get a save. Like if you look at Edmonton at the start of the year, they'll get weird with goalies. So it sounds crazy. You trade James Reimer for you know a low end piece, but a piece nevertheless, and you're like, why? Te goalies drive GMs and coaches nuts. You try to figure it out. All right, very quickly, Detroit in the wild card standings. Those two points were key to keep them in. The mix with Tampa Bay and Toronto more so than down with uh, New Jersey, 
uh, the Islanders, the Caps, and everyone else chasing them. The Devils aren't too far behind. Uh, 556 points percentage compared to Detroit's 574 as of the time of recording. Uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning in the war- the first wildcard spot have a 580 points percentage. So that's going to be uh, who Detroit's really kind of working against as well as the Toronto Maple Leafs. So Detroit still, in my mind, I, I have a lot of confidence in where they are in the playoff race right now. Yeah, they're going to have to continue to string wins together. I think at the end of the month, they've got Islanders in Washington. And those two games will be very pivotal for them to uh, really pull away from the teams that are chasing them. All right, let's get into some NHL news before overtime. You know, on the topic of we love all of the the celebrations, the the goading, the shit talking, the rivalries being, you know, relit with the fire of a thousand suns. Did you see when uh, Jack Hughes was talking to it was Arvidsson in the box, saying, "You play hockey to hurt people, and you're good at it. People pay to watch me play." Get absolutely roasted. That's hysterical. And the I loved it. I was like, that's exactly what I want. I want people to take full wind-up clappers. I want them to talk uh, like talk your shit in the box, brag if you want to. And if you're a player and you don't like any of the above, go after them for it. Beat them on the scoreboard. Beat them on the ice. Like Beat them up if you want. If you want to scrap, just don't do it with your stick, Morgan. And it was funny because LA won that game and the admin roasted Hughes after that. I love it. That was so like the NHL's in in its drama era right now. Like it's uh remember that ad from a while back saying no soap operas, just hockey? Wrong. No, I don't. Oh yeah. And that, that was hilarious. the worst that's one of the worst ads the NHL's ever run. Because it was wrong. It's a lot of soap operas and it's awesome. Like that's what I love to see. You guys see the the walk-ins for the stadium series, the Philly, New Jersey one? Those were hilarious. More of that. Yeah. That's a lot of fun, like dressing up as Rocky, coming in and shadow boxing, and then, you know, the Sopranos, Jersey Shore vibes for the Devils players. That's so good. Islander is no fun, of course. Well, no, they were matching the, the vibe of their GM, Lula Morello. Yeah, that's what I mean, no fun. Yeah. Like, at what point, just just quick answer, at what point are we just, like, done with Lou? Like, his shtick has worn off. As He's, soon as we're done getting fleecing them on trades. That's right. He's... He's might have been the worst GM in the league the last five years. Look at that roster. My God. And then just to employ a no fun team and like no facial hair, no fun, just show up and work. No jersey numbers over two or whatever. Oh God. Like I it like Lou is one of those ones where he was so old school it was funny, like in a Brian Burke way. And I think it the it's just gone too far. It's it's just actually annoying at this point. I definitely, it's not my cup of tea. I understand some people don't mind it. It's a little bit more old school for them. But I think when it's the stadium series and you're walking in, I'm like, you got to have, like the whole point of the stadium series is to just goof off. And it's, not an, it's not the, an ordinary game. It's no. not, you're, you're not coming to a game where it's like, oh, this is another game on the calendar. Like it's an event. Fans pay premium dollar to, to go to those events. They want to interact with the players. Like I think you need to, bend a little bit on this one. I wonder if the NHL is going to say anything and be like, would have been nice if you could have had more fun with that. And then Lou would probably, you know, their kneecaps wouldn't feel great after that. But then I don't know if the NHL would ever step in and say stuff like that. I'd be, I I, I don't want to say I am not surprised if they don't or do, because I really don't know. Hmm. Anyways, 
the stadium series, all outdoor games at this point, they're for the in-person spectacle. Like it's not for TV anymore. It's kind of lost. It's it's barely shine. even for the the viewing experience at all. It's just the fact that you're there, you're doing something extremely, well, people argue when I say the word unique, but you don't see that stuff all that often. And they go to, once again, people argue with this statement, they go to different stadiums and you see your team in a different venue than you normally would. It's It's really cool. It's it's a lot of fun to be there. Yeah, you gotta kind of loosen up, I think. All right, let's uh, let's wrap up the the main episode and let's jump into our overtime segment where we take questions and comments uh, from fans and listeners, especially our Patreon supporters. Overtime is brought to you by again our Patreon supporters, patreoncom podcast. If you want to uh, support the show and go the extra mile, but also get some really great benefits. You get access to our Wingfield Podcast exclusive Discord where you get a behind the scenes as one of our patrons gets arrested for tossing an octopus on the ice. You're automatically entered into all of our giveaways and we are giving away two tickets to every Red Wings home game this season. Uh, all of them so far this year have gone directly to our Patreon supporters. As well, you get access to all of our bonus overtime content. So any questions that don't get read out on the main show, we post a bonus episode right after this main show where we read out the rest of the questions, answer them, kind of goof off, have fun. It's a much more loose, relaxed show where... Uh, we have a good time with it. People seem to like it, even though we think it's some pretty disorganized chaos. So again, patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast. If you want to support the show question here from Mr. Deeps says I was at the wings Canucks game the other night and noticed that during commercial breaks, most of the players were on or near the benches talking to each other, but Sherratt was off in no man's land skating around and through the shovelers cleaning the ice. Didn't matter whether he was just on the ice or going on the ice after the break, he was skating around away from everyone else every single time. I've never played at a level that has commercial breaks. What happens during these stoppages? I figure there's coaching and strategizing and whatnot, but maybe not. It just seemed like Sherratt didn't uh, care about whatever was happening at the bench. Normally, it's just a mental reset. There's not a lot that goes on during the commercial break. If a team's having a particularly bad game, coach might use it as an opportunity to tear a strip off of them. But it's a high-level, highly taxing physical and mental game. So most guys use it as just kind of a all right, breathe, regroup, reset, relax, and then get back into it once the TV timeout's over. Yeah, every player's different. I, for example, we never had TV timeouts, obviously, at the level I played, but whenever there's like an extended delay for one reason or another, I was a skater on the ice, rather get my legs moving kind of person. If the coach has something to say or, or your captain or whoever's running the line has something to say, they'll bring you in. But by and large, like there's just so many of those breaks during the game. Guys just do what they need to do to stay focused, and that's what Sherratt does. Yeah, like whatever you need it for. If you're a fourth-line bottom pair guy and they'll just use it to get their legs moving because they're doing a ton of sitting, if they're a big minutes guy, probably just going to sit on the bench and catch your breath. Podgy713 says, I think it was Blast Drill that pointed out that the Wings were now 7-1-0 when the puck drops before 7 p.m. local. What can we do to get some afternoon baseball start times? I'd love a good old puck drop at 1.07 p.m. Maybe that'll get hockey to start when it's scheduled to as well. Seven minutes past the hour is when, like the past the scheduled start time is when the puck drops usually. I have to say, what a, what a difference. Because in the past, whenever Detroit had matinee games, they just looked so sleepy out there. So this is uh, it's a way better stat than what we were used to, I think. It's an old team. They, they uh, won up <laughs> every other team on the early bedtimes. The Mexanadian says, imagine money isn't an issue. You get to go to the bar with two other players in the current Red Wings. Who are you choosing? Oh, Wallman for sure, in my mind. Al- Alex Lyons, my for sure. Yeah. He I'll, seems like a really fun guy. I'm I'm going to go 
Alex Lyon for the enjoyment, and I'm going to go Ben Sherratt for the security. I thought Alex Lyon was the security because they're like, this guy, he's <laughs> yeah. got crazy he's eyes. He's got crazy. He's got nothing to lose. Yeah, his eyes are like uh, the, the twin brothers in Shorzy. <laughs> 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 That's what he looks like. I think Cider and Raymond, those two together are Are they old enough to get in a bar yet? Yes, just now. Like, yeah. They're, I wouldn't want to go with them because there's no way the bouncer's not staring at Lucas Raymond's ID for 21 minutes waiting to, like, while we wait to go in. Even Cider. Like, Cider had a penalty on, I think it was Coleman, and Coleman intentionally ran into him after threw an elbow. I actually thought that was, like, the ref let that go, which whatever, okay. And then Cider looked back at him. I was like, man, he is big, but he has the least threatening looking face. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he has such a baby face. It's so funny. Uh, another question here from Glenn Brabham says, surely Reimer's value will never be higher than after last night. Can we realistically get more than a seventh for him yet? And who's your bet to take him? All this provided Huso recovers okay. Uh, the NHL is weird and there's probably a GM out there willing to give up a mid to late round pick for him for some reason. Most likely right now, Edmonton, maybe actually. It would be a terrible decision by them, but yeah. Rose says, I know I could probably Google this, but I like hearing you guys explain hockey terms. That's nice. Uh, what is a PDO bender or a PDO in general? Thanks. PDO is often called the luck stat, but all it really is is shooting percentage plus save percentage. So if you average out everything in the league, it usually equals, the averages equal 100. Your goaltending and your shooting are average, so a 20% shooting percentage and an 80% goaltending, hypothetically, 100, everything balances out. So if you're well over 100, it means your goalie's running real hot and your shooting percentage is running real hot. And as we've learned over the past 100 years of hockey, those almost always crash down to earth at some point unless you have... If they're massive outliers. Yeah, unless you have a yearly Vesna candidate or just the murderer's row of shooters. and. Most teams don't have enough talent to sustain a shooting bender. Like historically, even the best teams always regress to somewhere near normal. And right now the Canucks were, they were on a stretch where they were riding a near 109 or something like that, which is unheard of this late into the season. And that's all it really breaks down to without even looking at the Reddings PDO, which I do not know off the top of my head. I'm going to guess they're well over 100 because they've had great goaltending out of line lately and their shooting has been uncharacteristically good this year. So when we're talking about the Red Wings are kind of have been shooting their way out of problems at points in the season and they've been goaltending their way out of problems throughout points in the season. If the PDO is over 100, that would be an expectation of regression at some point. It doesn't always happen. Sometimes it rides it out all the way to the end of the year. Look at the Kraken last year. Their shooting percentage last year was insane. And obviously they're bad this year. It came back down to earth. So that that's all it really is. It's just a way of quantifying how far outside of average are you. And we're always happy to explain these things too, whether it's a simple or an advanced concept. Sometimes like, cause we're so used to it, we just blow by it. So if you ever want to know we're we love uh, explaining this kind of stuff. Uh, Schmidt Tino says, hey guys, so as a European born in the late 80s and growing up in the 90s, uh, of course the first contact I had with the sport of hockey were the Mighty Ducks movies. Now I know and have heard your opinions of the films, we love them, and while I still like them, uh, 
Mm-mm. You didn't. You're not a big fan having gone back. I shouldn't have done that. No, yeah. There's so many movies you can't go back and rewatch. And while I still like them watching them today, I got to say that the way they depict playing hockey in them is terrible. It is bad. So my question is, what TV show or movie does the best job in depicting hockey as realistic and exciting as possible, both on and off the ice? And please don't say slap shot. Damn it! <laughs> <laughs> it's not it's, slap shot's not even the right answer. It's Shorzy. It's Shorzy. It's a thousand percent Shorzy, and it's not particularly close. Like. Mystery Alaska was pretty good, although the concept of a bunch of guys playing on a pond in Alaska, playing the New York Rangers and keeping up with them, not realistic at all. But the gameplay was fine enough. Uh, Miracle, but again, that was based on actual hockey. So if we're talking fictional show that does it best, it's Shorzy in every way possible. Most valuable primate. <laughs> there is no rules saying a chimpanzee can't be in the That league. is true. You ripped a man's face off. <laughs> the I checked the PDO, by the way, 101.3, so you were right. Yeah, I figured the Red Wings would be over 100. Ariel says, hey, congrats on nine years. I'm guessing you already talked about the New Jersey Devils outfits before their game Saturday. What do you think the Red Wings will be wearing walking into the shoe for their stadium series? Would they show up in Michigan jerseys and helmets for the rivalry, or would that piss off too many fans from the other schools in Michigan? It's We talked about it last episode. Like Ohio State does also have a rivalry with Michigan State, and there's so many great college programs in Michigan that it's not all going to be like the Michigan Wolverine centric. But I do wonder if that's the move to lean into the Michigan Ohio yeah, State. Petrie can wear his Michigan State one, and then everybody else who doesn't have a horse in the race just pick one. But then you're going to get your, I don't remember where everybody played, but like your Notre Dames and your Boston universities. Are they going to want to put on Michigan gear? I. I don't think they would. I, you know, if I went to school at BU and someone asked me to put on a Michigan helmet, I'm not doing it. So I, it would be, you know, they can definitely engineer a way to make the Detroit Red Wings logo kit into like more football centric. And you can pick the different schools colors too. That, that, that to me is like the default answer, but the least creative one. I want to know what you, the listeners comment wherever you get the show or, or tweet at us. I want to know some creative ideas on what the Red Wings could do to, to represent Detroit or Michigan, because I think that'd be cool. It's going to be like Michigan, the state of Michigan versus the state of Ohio theme. Like, find two states that hate each other. Actually, don't answer that question. <laughs> just dress, just dress in like quintessential UP. Put on a flannel. Oh yeah. Get your hat. Put on some work oh, boots. Pack a lip. Like, get going and walk into the ring. It's just going to be Carhartt the entrance. Now that I think about it, <laughs> the, the the Detroit Carhartt Red Wings. That's going to be yeah. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Everyone's just going to be dressed as Mickey Redmond. <laughs> All right, last one here from Give Walman the Heart says, I've gotten two of my friends who don't watch hockey to watch two games this year, the Vegas game and the Calgary game. From their perspective, someone throws an octopus on the ice every single game. I also clearly need to get them to watch more games if we're going to win every time and they're tuned in. Yes, please make them do that. Uh, my question is, is Raymond unironically our best four checker? He might be. Uh, Larkin. Larkin. I know it's a lazy answer to pick Larkin for... Uh, which Red Wings forward is the best at X. anything. Larkin's ability to close on pucks is exceptional because of his skating. But God, is he good on puck battles? Like Raymond's good. Don't get me wrong, but Larkin wins battles from weird angles. And when he doesn't even get there first, or he's not in the best position, he just finds a way. Yeah. It's, it's remarkable. All right. I think uh, we've had enough of you guys listening to, or you guys have probably had enough of listening to our beat up voices 
and runny noses. So we're going to wrap up this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast. We're going to be back with you on Wednesday with updates after the Seattle game and more content for you. Again, if you want to chip into the uh, Octopus Toss donation, uh, our friend DBoss Snip Show has kindly asked that you redirect those donations to the Jamie Daniels Foundation. So go to justgiving.com slash wings money on the board to do so. If you want to contribute on Patreon, patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast. And if you want to get your tickets to winged wheel podcast and at the LCA, go to wingedwheelpodcast.com slash red wings. I'd like to thank all of you for tuning in all of our uh, new listeners and our listeners of old. We appreciate you so much. And to all of our supporters on Patreon, we could not do any of this without you, especially our name level sponsors. Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Akefer, Samuel Soderholm, Icon, Brad's Lord and Savior, Bradley Cleveland, Glenn Brabham, Croner's Left Knee, Ashley Van Conant, Sea Lion, Matthew M. Rice, Admiral Matt S. of the Cheesebag Navy. By the audio, nine years of Ryan and Brad, one year of Evan. <laughs> Carl Bertan and Analuski, Carl Provy. Damn, you're getting cooked in the, uh, the Patreon name readout. That's hysterical. Good for them. Citizen High Five, Clip Clop Nene, Connor Scovey, Craig Kibble, Denny's Gamer Girl, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, GOD Creatives, Give Blood, Fight Probert, Hockey Town Love, Hockey Town Matt, Hassam Al Qasem, I'm Ryan, Nine Year Hannah, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Joel Miranda, Jonathan Miller, Kaylin Wood, Marcus, Marlon Winchester, Matt K, Cannon Fodder of the Cheesebag Army, Matt McKay, Michael Edland, RA, Red Feather, Desert Dogs, Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Screen Lube, Strunk Flug, that's what I appreciate about you. Walman's Elite Dancing D, Iser Plan Stan, General Andy Bohan of the Cheesebag Army, Sam Bankson, AB, Adam Rose, Antonio Gracias, Axel Sandy Pelica, Bellingham Acid Balls, Brad Simmons, Brian Vasha, Chuck Buffchest, the Tarpless Goon, Commander Ben Barron of the Cheesebag Space Force, Connor, Connor Leighton, Corey Prita, Darren Fick, D Boss Snip Show, Derek James, Dungeon Master of Puppets, Frank Stanley, Gene Sullivan, Griffey Boy, James Pridemore, Jeremiah Dobo, JM Rhapsody, Jogan Rafferty Fan Club, John Evans Derogatory, John Ingalls, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Les Grossman's Ungodly Firestorm, Linda Hull, Maximilian, Melissa Erickson, Ophelia, Reed, Steven, The Hodag, The Mexinadian, The Hat123, Winging It in San Diego, X, formerly AA Ron, and your second favorite patron. Thank you all so very much. Keep tossing those off. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.